This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, this is Mark Bennett, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Lucky you. how you got into comedy i got into comedy because i just i was always a uh well i like to think i was a funny kid well, put it this way i used to make people laugh i don't know if they were laughing at me or laughing with me but they would laugh and when i would do high school speeches i would always try to do a comedy routine basically and by the time i was i don't know 13 years old everybody around me was saying so you you want to be a stand-up comedian when you get older and i would say yes that's what I want to do. It was never a question. I'm not one of those guys who found it later. I just wanted to do it since I found out what stand-up comedy was. I watch TV, you see, you know, Just for Laughs, or you see uh, A&E's Evening at the Improv or Caroline's Comedy Hour. They had a lot of comedy on TV when I was in my early teens, and I uh, loved it. And I just said, That's, this is what I need to do. Never it has never really changed. And I don't know why. It's not it's not a great job. It's a dumb thing to get into, but for whatever reason I keep doing it. The story that Sean told me one time is that when you were doing speeches, I think it was at Knights of Columbus, St. John's. Oh yeah. You went up and Tony Duffne, who was the teacher at the time, said to you, like, Okay, are you ready? Do you have a speech prepared? And you basically said, I'm just gonna go out there and do jokes. And he kind of said, all right, do what you got to do. I don't know where you placed, but apparently at the end of it, people were coming up and saying like, oh, good job. You did your best. And kind of definitely kind of did the whole class. It kind of came over to you and kind of just shrugged your shoulders and said something like, oh, should have did a speech. <laughs> and my brother kind of yeah. make, makes the joke of you're basically saying like, hmm, thanks. Thanks for that. Like, you know, like did my best. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, uh, Tony Duffney, fantastic teacher, loved by many students, uh, including myself. But Tony Duffney was, he knew what the public speaking judges want. So, so the, we're talking about like uh, a provincial final. So uh, I, I did, I won the speak off in our school. Then I won the next version, which was like the regionals. Now we're at the big provincial final. So all the best speakers, according to, uh, I don't know, teachers across Newfoundland, getting together to uh, to do some speech at uh, some Lions Club or something. I can't remember. And he was of the opinion that I needed a different speech because my speech was just jokes, just a funny speech. And he was saying, you need a more dramatic speech. You need, you need something uh, more hard-hitting because these people, they don't want to hear comedy. And I said, well, look, I'm just going to do the thing that I want to do. And that is all. And he was right. Like they hated me. It was, it was the first time I ever bombed. I had not yet started comedy, but I already bombed because it was dead silence the whole time. And I remember I hated it so much because there were three or four people. Uh, your brother was one of them. They came to actually watch it to support me. And they had seen the speech do very well, and everybody laughed, so they thought, oh, this is going to be great. And it was just death. And then Tony Duffney came up afterwards, and he couldn't help himself. He just said, I told you so. And yeah. I was like, yeah, 
Thanks for that, yeah. Tony. You know, and uh, but he was the thing is he was right, and it, but it's not like I thought he was wrong. I knew he'd be right the whole time. I did expect, however, to get some laughs. I was a little irritated that they were all so stuffy that they couldn't. And then people kept coming up to me after the after the uh, speech was over, and they were like, "Oh, I thought it was really funny. I wanted to laugh, but no one else was laughing." I'm like, oh, thanks. That helps a lot, you idiot. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that is that is the story that you're talking about. I think the big impression to me that I always remember is we went up, me and my brother, to go watch the SummerSlam. We went to the Hockey Hall of Fame. We did all those kind of sightseeing things. And there was a thing in the Hockey Hall of Fame that you could do the Canadian Henderson goal and you could be the broadcaster. And you took it in a totally different direction. You decided to be a Russian broadcaster doing it as Candace scores how deflated Russia was. And I remember you like tossed paper in the air. You cursed in Russian if like probably made that up. But I just thought of it and I said, this is hilarious. And, and uh, I think I wanted you to send it to me. You tried, but it just never went through. But I wish I still had it because it was just something that's. You see more of it today, more people doing that online, just posting like their own versions of stuff. But what made you choose to do it that way? Was it something that you just felt would be entertaining or is it just something that you, you just wanted to do? Yeah, well, generally, if a, if a joke comes to me, I, I'm definitely interested in doing that. But the, there's also the idea that everybody, everyone, if you go down the same path, everybody goes down. It's not going to work out that well for you. I mean... It was done by professional broadcasters, and everyone goes in. They try to emulate the call, and and you're just you're you're often going to come up short. Uh, I said this to you last time, and I I like the analogy, so I'll say it again. But uh, Paul Heyman, who ran ECW, he was the only wrestling federation that could not be bought out by Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, who owns WWE, he bought up everything, or they all went out of business because of Vince McMahon. But for some reason, he couldn't kill ECW. So they asked those guys, they said, Paul Heyman, how did you do it? How did you keep that, your little wrestling federation afloat when you had nowhere near the money of Vince McMahon? Like, how did you, and he said, well, we, we knew we had nowhere near the money. So what we did is we focused on what we did best, and that is we put off good wrestling matches, and we just kept the camera in the ring. We didn't have big stadiums. We didn't have a lot of audience members. We didn't have pyrotechnics. So... We just took it a different way. We said we concentrate on amazing wrestling matches, and that is all. That's how you get anything done. You just do your own brand of it. So when I see everybody sitting down to do the announcements and uh, to do the the play-by-play, some people are really good at it. And I was just like, I mean, I... If I sit down, there's going to be people listening. God knows I'm not going to do a better job than half the people here. So uh, why not try to be funny? And it, it just hit me that uh, it would. everyone goes there and they're excited about the goal. But there's a whole other country who's very upset about that goal. And I thought it would be funny if you're just, no, yet. Oh, no. Like, I, I do wish I had that recording, too, because uh, that, was, uh, that was a really funny thing. I like that. Even years later, I look at it and someone will say, like, what makes you, because even when I'm doing broadcasting, someone will say, why Why did you come up with that line or why did you go that way? Because I had a teacher at Loyalist that absolutely hated and despised it when you kind of 
broke seriousness and used jokes to go to segues between breaks at a basketball game or a hockey broadcast. And mm-hmm. that, that just kind of struck my mind. I was just so like, that made me laugh and it was entertaining. And I was like, yep. if I'm doing a broadcast, I don't want to be always known as someone being serious. So yeah, you just and that's the thing, right? You can't you can't worry about the negatives. You gotta. There's always if you're doing something right, there's always going to be people who don't like you. I mean, you do have to know who you are as a person. Like Bob Cole yeah. never makes jokes. He just has a great announcing voice, and that's that. That's how he goes. He's old school, and he does it like that. And he's he's one of the best of all time. But Joe Buck, who does a lot of the American broadcasts, a lot of uh, baseball uh, broadcasts, uh, he's. Joe Buck is a very, and football as well, but he's a very funny man. And he often makes jokes during um, his broadcast or cutting the commercial or during the game. And they're funny jokes. And so if you can do it, it and Joe Buck is the highest paid commentator. Commentator, yeah. Broadcast yeah. commentator and Broadcaster is it was the first broadcaster in the world. He's in the highest demand. He's the he's NFL's number one guy and Major League Baseball's number one guy. And a lot of the reason is because of how charismatic and how funny he is. I guess it's called riffing with the crowd. Um, but you do really well with that stuff. And I want to know, did that just come naturally for you? Or was this something that you kind of had to train yourself to do? Sort of half and half. I mean, I never had too much trouble riffing or being off the cuff. But it does take a little bit of experience before you're comfortable doing it. Because... It, you know, you go up at first and you have your routine and, and you know it and you say your jokes and hopefully it goes well. But, you know, if something, somebody interrupts you early on, very, not very often do you address it and nor should you because you're not comfortable enough on stage to be able to go off script too much. So unless, you know, depending on who you are, certainly for me, that was the case. But after you do a million shows, you, you just you're getting very comfortable with who you are. And if some if somebody interrupts the show in some way, shape, or form, it's usually best to address it. Otherwise, the audience looks around and says, "Hey, do you not hear the person interrupting?" And and you look like maybe you're not in control, or you're too afraid to um, talk about the elephant in the room. So you do have to go, "Hey." But lady, what are you doing? How come you're so slow? Why don't you write down the jokes, read them later, so that the rest of the audience can enjoy it in real time? Something like that. Just let people know that you know what is going on. I'm not one of those guys who goes crazy. I don't start yelling and cursing at hecklers most of the time. Once in a while, people go uh, crazy, and you had to get people kicked out of the comedy club because they're just being uh, obnoxious and they're ruining it for everybody else. But for the most part, I try to incorporate them into the show and try to make everybody happy. I just want the show to go well. If somebody interrupts me, I don't love it. It's not my favorite thing, but uh, I don't want the show to go off the rails, so I'll address it and try to be nice about it. But almost every comedian you talk to will not enjoy being interrupted. It's, uh, uh, one, of, one of my friends, uh, uh, Ryan Belleville, he was, uh, he's a comedian who gets very upset when people interrupt him, and he says, sometimes he says, uh, you know, if you go to a live play, do you just interrupt? Do you shout during, hey, Mercutio, you suck at a Shakespeare play? No, you don't. So why don't you just listen? And But the people think that comedy is a little more interactive, and they're sort of right. I mean, you know, there, there is, that's one of the appealing aspects is the uh, live 
feel to a comedy show and the fact that you can interact with people. And a lot of times, like, I'll ask the audience a question or two, or, you know, sometimes you want to get their opinion on something before you move on with the joke. And, like, it, there is that nice element to it, but... When it goes off rails, um, nobody's happy. You know, comedians generally, after a show, they'll be fuming if somebody has been interrupting them a lot. And then even if the show goes well, the comedian's still not happy about it. And a lot of people make that mistake. They think, oh, a heckler interrupted a bunch of times, but the comedian handled it so great, and uh, he must be so happy. It's like, no, he, he wanted to do his routine. He had to deal with that idiot. And uh, sure, he made it funny because he's a funny guy. But he didn't come to the comedy club to deal with some doofus in the front row who won't shut up because he's had too much to drink. It's one of the reasons we all like doing theater. Nobody interrupts when you go do a theater comedy show. Well, you won't see Louis C.K. in the comedy clubs too often. When he's taping a special, it's going to be in a theater because people can't yell out. I did my first stand-up at a pancake house, and you kind of told me I should have went for an absolute or yuck yucks because at Mm -hmm. an absolute or yuck yucks, they're paying to see... You, even if it's at an amateur night, they know what they're coming in for. We're at a pancake house. They're coming for the pancakes and you might be well received or you might be a distraction because that's not what they came in here for. It's, it's, I, I never really understand. Well, I do understand it. I know what people want to go to a, an open mic room that's a smaller room. They figure it's less people. It's, it's, uh, less pressure. Um, but, uh, the way I always looked at it is what you want to do is give yourself the best opportunity to do well. Uh, this is, uh, it's actually something your, your older brother, Sean, I told him years ago and he always, quotes it is that he would ask me about those high school speeches, you know, and and the one where I did terribly, I still did the routine exactly the way I wanted to with, with full energy. And it didn't look like I was bombing. It looked like I was happy to be there. And then people afterwards were like, well, yeah, you performed very well. And Sean, your brother asked, how, how could you do that? How did you just keep performing like it was going great? And I said, because that gives you the best shot of doing well. You can't, you, if you set up a situation where you've shot yourself in the foot, then, you know, that, that's not helpful. So if you're going to uh, an open mic that it's a poor setup, there's only a few people there. It's at a pancake house. People are like, can you pass the syrup? Why is that guy yelling into a microphone? You're just not giving yourself a real shot to see if you can do comedy. If you go to a comedy club, you stand up on a professional stage. You get There's an audience who paid tickets. They're walking in because they're, I'm going to sit here and someone's going to stand up and do some comedy. And then at least you get to see if your jokes work or not. Like I, I've been doing this for 15 years. And if I go to the pancake house, I know very well that there's like a 80% chance I'm going to do terribly because most times you do terribly at open mic rooms. You're, you're only there to work out new material because you're not there to get a great response or you're not there for the audience. You're just there to work out some new crap. When you want to do real shows, you want real audiences. So uh, I always recommend when people say, I want to try comedy for the first time, what should I do? I always say, sign up for an amateur night at a comedy club if there is one available to you. If you can get to a comedy club, go do their amateur night. You'll get a much better idea of what it's like to do stand-up, and you'll get a much better idea of whether or not your jokes 
actually work. Like you can go to the pancake house and maybe you're killing at the pancake house. So you're, you're talking about batter and Aunt Jemima and who knows what. And everybody's going, look at this guy. He's amazing at the pancake house. And then you go to uh, a comedy club and you start doing your Aunt Jemima bits. And people are like, what are you talking about? There are no pancakes here. So you were only good in that room. So even if you did well, it's not necessarily an indication that your comedy is universal and it's going to appeal to a broad audience. So open mic rooms, a lot of people love them. I find them a bit of a necessary evil. Like I don't, I don't love performing at small uh, open mic venues. Just I don't feel that comfortable there because because of all the stuff I just said. So I really like the comedy clubs, but you really need to go out to these open mics to work out new material. But more than that, which I've learned over the last few years, is you go out because that's where all the comedians are. We're all out. We're hanging out. We're having a beer. You you get a lot of friends that way. And like most businesses, things are about who you know. So if the other comedians know you, things go a lot better for you. So that's why you, who were trying comedy for the first time, you don't know necessarily that this is a bad environment to do your jokes. And I recommend what I said, which is go to an amateur night, sign up uh, at a comedy club, because that's your only real way to gauge whether or not you're writing good comedy. Uh, like most, most stand-up comedians, and not everybody knows this, but most stand-up comedians are not improv artists. They don't get up and just go off the cuff. They have a very carefully planned routine. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld is famous for saying, you know, it's funny if I tilt my head this way, but it's not funny if I tilt my head this way. He's that scientific about it. He thinks that every gesture he makes with his hand makes a difference to the joke. And he's probably right. So uh, there are a couple of people who will do much more improv jokes. But even those people have a very good structure of what they want to say, and they just improv in the middle of the joke a little bit. And here's a good example. You mentioned Louis C.K. is one of your favorites. He is one of mine as well. And I got tickets to a Louis C.K. show, and I was sort of in the back row of the theater, so they weren't great tickets. And then he released new tickets so for his late show, he added a late show at the theater. So I bought tickets there and I got into the front row. So I figured I'd just sell the back row tickets that I got the day before. But I'm just too lazy to do anything. So I decided, screw it. I'm going to watch the two shows back to back. I'll watch Louis C.K. at 7, then I'll watch Louis C.K. at 9. And I did. And I watched the two shows together and he did the exact same Material with the exact same gestures, every little thing was 100% the same. And uh, not everybody would figure that. A lot of people would think, oh, he's probably fools around, jokes around a little bit. No, he, it was all exactly the same because Louis knows when it's time to perform a professional set. Like he'll, Louis will fool around a lot at the pancake house. He'll fool around a lot at open mics. He'll try to figure out his material. But once he figures it out, and he's ready to shoot a DVD or he's ready to perform at a theater or a stadium, he knows exactly what he's going to say. And that is almost the only way to do stand-up really, really well. The other thing I want to mention, too, as well, is um, I Said Shut Up. That is the name of your podcast. Why that name? I mean, you could have came up with something of, uh, you know, intro to comedy or Mark Bunnett speaks comedy. But no, you said I said shut up. Yeah. Now, here's the reason there, Brian. Here's the reason. The reason is, is that I, uh, much like Louis C.K., I don't want to be 
pigeonholed into any particular thing. Like with, with the podcast, it's free. And the, the best part about a podcast is that it's free because you can do whatever you want to do. And if people don't like it, then, you know, you can just, they can not listen or they can listen. It's up to them. It's, it's totally free. So, uh, I didn't want to make it something where I had restrictions on myself. Sure. I like talking about comedy. I'm a comedian. I'm going to talk about, well, here's the thing. I like talking about myself as your listeners are painfully aware. And I wanted the podcast to be me being able to talk about whatever I wanted to. And I didn't want to give people a false sense of, Oh, I, I'm only interested in hearing about how to do stand up comedy. And now this guy is, he's, he's talking about his breakfast. Why, why is he doing that? And the, I said, shut up. It's just because it's me. I'm by myself. So uh, it, the I said shut up is in allusion to the fact that there's nobody else there talking to interrupt me. So I just get to rant for about 45 minutes on my own. I've had two guests on, on the podcast so far out of 17 episodes. It's just been by coincidence. I wanted it to be something where I can record it on my own once or twice a week and just do it uh, until I'm dead because I enjoy the uh, the whole aspect of podcasting, and I enjoy the freedom of it. And I love uh, I love Bill Burr. His his podcast is my favorite podcast, uh, and that's why I modeled mine after him. Because Mark Maron has a great podcast, and Pete Holmes has a great podcast, but they have guests on. And as Bill Burr said one day on an interview, that's like work. Now I've got to schedule guests. People have to come in. I have to edit the thing. I have to put it up because I don't do, I do stand up comedy. I don't like to work. And that's exactly the point. So if I were to make it intro to comedy or comedy 101, now I've got to come up with tips and tricks and themes. Whereas I just want to talk for 45 minutes and be as funny as I can be. Talk about my baby or my wife or my life or, or, or the stand up gig I just did. I just turn on a microphone. I literally just turn it on and then I just start talking and I don't even know where I'm going to go for 45 minutes. And that's it. I just, I talk and that's so much easier to me. But that being said, you know, it's much harder for me to gain a following. It's much harder for me to get people to tune into what I'm doing. People will go, Hey, Brian, Brian's got Peter Manfredge. Oh yeah. I'll tune in to hear what that, and your followers can increase so much more. And, and it can be a really interesting thing. God knows I'd love that. Some guests, you know, like if if I could talk to Wayne Gretzky for, for 45 minutes, that'd be great. You know, I, I can't get Wayne Gretzky on my podcast unless he wants to come sit in my car with me and record uh, my 45 minute rant. (laughs) Wayne Gretzky is in the passenger seat listening to me talk for 45 minutes. Not going to work. Yeah. Pros and cons. But I, here's the thing. I always choose the lazy route. Whatever one was easier, that's the one I'm going to do. What do you prefer doing most? Do you prefer the video aspect of things? Do you prefer the podcast and why? I mean, it's all different. Stand-up is the only thing. If I had to do only one thing, it's got to be stand-up. I like doing video. It creates a, it's, it's interesting. I love using gear. I love using gadgets. And, and I like the idea of, of doing video. The problem with video is it's very difficult to make things look extremely professional. So video is a little frustrating in that I want everything to look like a Coen Brothers movie, but that's impossible unless you have $60 billion. Whereas a podcast is so easy. What I love the most about the podcast is it's so free and so easy. I get a microphone, a dynamic microphone plugged into my Zoom recorder, and then I have what sounds like radio quality uh, podcast that I can put up 
every day if I feel like it. It takes, it's nothing. There's nothing. I just press one button and then I upload it to um, my uh, my WordPress account. And then it goes to iTunes. It goes to uh, SoundCloud. It goes to wherever. And anybody's free to get it. So I love how easy the podcast is. It's my that's, Podcast is my favorite thing to do because it's so easy and there's no pressure. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Mark Bennett for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, why put it off until tomorrow what could be done today? Easy. Because tomorrow's looking ahead, and I like to look ahead, not in the present. The future just always seems brighter. Thanks for listening, and good night. It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Ali Mars. The one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.